thanks for doing this, Robbie. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I guess where I want to start, I mean, I thought this story you wrote on Scoot that came out, I, th- I think you, well, first of all, when did, when did you actually talk to him? When was, when did you actually, I went, I was there March. It was the okay. end of, it was right after he got shut down by the ignite, uh, before the very end of their season. So he was still in Vegas. Uh, it was right after they ended the season. So we, <laughs> it actually, we were supposed to run it the, the day slam ran theirs, which is why the arts got pushed, pushed it back. back. Uh, but it ended up working out cause we ran it, uh, the week of the draft, which obviously is a, is a good time to have that go up anyway. So, um, yeah, that was, so I went, I went out there back in March. So that was before, even before the lottery right. and everything. So there's obviously no conversation about, uh, Charlotte, Portland, that sort of thing. It was a little bit of a different time for you to, cause I've had, I've had Mirren Fader on here before mm. and she obviously wrote about Scoot back in like. November, December, when he was first blowing up, like right after the Wemby uh, right. exhibition games, which were also in Vegas. But uh, that was kind of when the world was first finding out about him. I thought when when you got him, it was kind of an interesting time to get him because yeah. he's like, you know, they shut him down for the season. So his G League time is over. And now he's just like preparing for the draft process and mm-hmm just, you know, jumping to the NBA. And the thing that I thought was so interesting about what you wrote, and I'm glad that this was kind of the angle that you ended up hitting on and the theme that you kind of kept hammering during the whole thing, is just how much work and how many people are invested in Scoot Henderson making it as an NBA star. Yeah, it was it was an interesting time. And it was also like, it was that brief period right when the the Brandon Miller kind of hype train had just picked up because it was like right when the tournament had happened. So it was like, it it was an interesting time to talk to him because like, and and we talked about it and it was in the story where it's like, you know, I was like, look, like how do you kind of put, put all the noise? Like it's all stuff that you can't control, like another guy rising and people talking, you know, questioning you and, and all this, but yeah, it was, um, you know, I mean, his one, he has a, a huge family. I mean, I yeah. think he has seven siblings. And so it's just like, uh, it, it was interesting. To, and like, it was kind of funny. Like, I remember asking him, uh, you forget when you talk to Scoot that he's 19 years old sometimes, like because yeah. of the way he talks, especially the way he talks about himself as a player. Like you kind of are like, this is a, a five, six year vet, the way he kind of talks about the way he's figured out his body and figured out the way he goes about being a pro. And I remember asking him, you know, I'm from Atlanta, so I always like to talk to Atlanta guys about food and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I asked him uh, kind of like his favorite restaurant from Atlanta. I forgot he had left Atlanta when he was 17 years old. So like he, you know, of course he doesn't really have, you know, he goes back, but he doesn't really have a favorite restaurant. So he's like my favorite restaurant growing up with Golden Corral. And I was like, of course, the family <laughs> with seven kids would go to Golden Corral. That's where kids eat free. You know, like that's like, of course, that would be your favorite. Spot. Right to go right. like after practice and stuff. He hasn't so been just in like, Atlanta as an adult. Right. Have he doesn't picks. I was like, why, why would he have a favorite restaurant? It was one of those things where it's like, you know, cause it's like a little bit into it and I kind of forget he's 19. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he has this support system around him. That's kind of built in because of the family thing. Like uh, his dad's been his trainer for his whole life. His dad and his parents run the basketball gym. So he's like, he literally grew up in a gym you know, for, for his entire like high school career, end of middle school. He said, that's kind of when he transitioned from kind of dabbling in both football and basketball to saying like basketball is going to be the sport. So I'm going to work my body 
and, and, and trained to be a basketball player. And then, you know, his, his sister does his styling and, and, you know, he's got all these people around him, but, but he does keep it pretty tight to the family. Um, and, and so it, it was interesting getting to know him because, you know, he, he seems like somebody that is very loyal once he lets people kind of in, but he can be a little, it, it seems like it maybe takes a minute for him to build that trust. But once he does, he's kind of all in. You, I could see that talking with the G League folks. Uh-huh. Like he clearly very much had put his trust in them. Uh, and I think building that rapport was the biggest thing to letting him take the the next steps he needed this uh, the second season in the G League um, was kind of him putting his faith in uh, Jason Hart, who's the coach, and, and Pooh Jeter, who I think is an interesting kind of connect now. Well, now he works in the, the Blazers. Blazers front office. They hired him as, I believe his title is, I think he's like, it's like some hybrid job where like, mm-hmm. I think he's the assistant GM of the G League team, but then he's also, I think, going to be like a player development coach also. But they hired him... And obviously, like, you know, this is a whole other thing. I don't feel like relitigating, but, you know, there was all the talk before the draft of, you know, are they going to trade the pick? Are they going to, you know, get a guy more on Dame's timeline? They hired uh, Pooh Jetter like two weeks before the draft. And it was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I talked to Pooh um, for the story and like he just raved about Scoot. So I'm not yeah. surprised that he would have probably been in there telling the guys like this kid is legit. <laughs> Like yeah. he was, he raved about him and, you know, it's kind of funny when you talk to um, Jason Hard and, and Pooh and those guys, it's like, they kind of like shrugged off my basketball questions. Like it was uh-huh. kind of funny as they were just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's going to be fine. Like he has all of the athletic gifts in the world. He puts in the work, like nobody really needs to worry about his development. Like they're like, he's going to, take the steps and he's going to pop. And like, you know, I was like, you know, do you believe the shooting's going to come? And they're like, Oh yeah. Like he's going to figure it out. You know, like they have no concern about that. It was like the thing that we wanted to make sure was he was ready as like a leader and mm-hmm. as a, a player in terms of like, as a point guard, you have to be able to tell all of these guys who are five, 10, 15 years older than you, what to be doing. And like they needed to get him right for that, and they said like kind of his first year he was real quiet, um, and and they they all talked about how the biggest step he took in year two was just talking and being vocal and all those things that that you need to do as a point guard, especially if you're going to be a star. Um, and they said that was the biggest thing that they saw strides in was it, it went from a guy who was, you know, the classic, uh, you know let the work talk guy. And now it's, you know, he'll actually, you know, he'll tell guys where they need to be and he'll address the team in the locker room. And I remember Pooh talking about, you know, he was like at our end of season banquet, he grabbed the mic and like impromptu, like addressed everybody. And he's like, that would have never happened 12 months ago. And he's like, and that showed me everything I needed. And he was like, he's like, he graduated. He was like, for me, that was graduation for him. As soon as I saw that, I was good. You know, he was like, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up because you have because the, the the part in their story where you talk about that because that's in the story mm-hmm. and you say uh, Jeter and Hart both said the challenge they laid out for Henderson this season was to run the franchise and to make himself locker room ready for the NBA. This is kind of what I was getting at earlier, where it's not just like yeah, his dad 
you know, was mm. his trainer and he grew up, you know, with his family, you know, running a basketball gym. And, you know, so he was around the game his whole life. But there was just so much invested, you know, both by his family and by the Ignite and whoever else. There's just been so much invested in, like, the behind the scenes of, it's not just like, oh, we need to make this guy as good of a basketball player as he can be. It's, we need to make him ready to be an NBA star. And in a way, like, it, it's laid out kind of in this, in a way that I don't really see it laid out, you know, to the degree that it is. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it's maybe something that's unique to the Ignite program is, uh, and I think with Scoot in particular, they kind of knew like, all right, this guy is, uh, this guy's special. Like Jason Hart even told me for the story. I think I have it in there. He's like, I, I'm not going to coach yeah. another Scoot Henderson. He's like, I might not coach a guy as good as Scoot Henderson ever again. And so I think they as a program knew how important it was to have this guy for two years. Who's was going he the first to, one that they were doing for two years? Yeah, he was the first one they did two years. And I think they recognized after year one, they're like, and they see like, okay, he's the number two guy in this class. He would be number one in most any other class. They're like, we need to make sure that we are doing this right. Like, I think there was kind of an impetus from the inside to say like, this is going to be our best proof point. You know, we've yeah. had guys come through and they've gotten drafted high and they've been successful. You had Jalen Green, you had Dyson Daniels. You've had guys come through Kaminga. the program, Kaminga. But like Kaminga didn't really pop in the G League. He actually kind of fell while he was with the Ignite in terms of from where he was as a, as a high school prospect uh, to where he got drafted. And Jalen Green was a, was a guy that, you know, his obviously his talents were clear. But again, it was like he's still pretty raw. And I think they saw an opportunity with Scoot to say, like, this guy can come in and be an immediate dude in the NBA, and we need to make sure he's ready for that. And I think there's there's some selfishness to that in a good way in the sense that the Ignite recognized, like, this is our best chance to have a proof point for every young star that wants to come out and wants to come through our program and say, look what we did for Scoot, not just as a basketball player in his skill development, but like, this is what we can do for you. That's different than a college program. Like, this is what we can do to tell you, like, you know, look, we can teach you how to run a team. We can give you the keys and we can teach you how to talk to guys who are veterans. You know, like you're going to have to lead the team that has a guy 15 years older than you, 20 years older than you. And you're going to learn how to do that, which you don't learn when you're playing necessarily with other 18, 19, 20 year olds it's a little bit of a different experience. And I think that's the thing they're most proud of with Scoot. And I think that's one of the things kind of why they wanted to, to hit on that with me was like, you know, it's not just look, he can continue developing on the basketball court and he gets a chance to run a pro offense, uh, which I do think is a, is a benefit of that. And I talked to him about that is like, he ran so much pick and roll that he had to get better. You know, like it's one of those things where it's like, you don't necessarily get that in, in college if you go to a place that doesn't run a pro-style system. And so there are benefits there, but they, they really hammered like how much they invested in him off the court and just in terms of being a leader and being uh, that guy. And also takes a guy like Scoot who wants to do that. Um, and he is, you know, he is a guy who seeks out those opportunities to get better. And I think that's something that, Blazers fans should be excited about is like he very much is a guy that wants you to be honest with him in terms of the coaching staff and the front office and everything about like, what can I do better? How do I do it better? He doesn't just want to be told, Oh, you're doing great. 
like he wants the the kind of nitpick stuff to say like hey man we can do this better and i think that's something the ignite were able to do we're like okay you played well your first year now here's the next step and he took it to heart and you know he talks about he was in practice and his brother's like what are you doing and he's like you know calling out ghost screeners he's calling out ghost defenders he's like just talking constantly because that's what they told him to do. That's what hard and, and Pooh and those guys, they were like, you got to learn to just talk constantly on the court. Cause that's your job as a point guard. And he, it's something he had to work on and actually practice. And so he was like, I felt kind of insane at times. Cause I'm out here in an empty gym with my brother or my dad. And I'm like yelling and I'm talking and I'm doing all this stuff, but he's like, it's the only way I could condition myself. But, like, I don't know how many guys necessarily are willing to, to, to kind of do that at that age. Um, and that was one of the things that stood out to me with Scoot is, like, he really is willing to do kind of whatever he thinks it takes and whatever people he trusts tell him um, to take those steps as a, as a player. Yeah, and, I mean, you, you, you saw there was this uh, – I don't know if you've watched this, but there was a – you know how, you know, when Mike Schmitz was at ESPN, he used to do those film sessions with yeah. prospects. He did one with Scoot a year ago. This was before he took the Blazers mm-hmm. uh, assistant GM job. But there was this one, there was this part of it. I watched the whole thing after he got drafted, obviously, because I've been, like, watching and reading as much sure. Scoot stuff as I can since I'm going to be covering him now for right. the next however many years. But, uh, you know, they, when they started talking about his defense, which, you know, just because of his size, you know that that's going to be something that will probably be a, an issue, at least early on in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Schmitz was showing him clips of, you know, different defensive possessions, and Scoot was, like, stopping it and saying, hey, yeah, I blew that rotation. I should have been there. So it's like he's very willing to, you know, say, oh, I need to do this better. And he also, yeah. like he said, like, I, I think in his opening press conference, he said something like, you know, Chauncey Billups is going to get annoyed with me by how many questions I ask him. And then Chauncey has talked about how he was really impressed that Scoot even like knew who he was because when Chauncey was on those Detroit teams and winning the title, Scoot was like three or four. Like there's no reason for, <laughs> right. Scoot, for Scoot to like know Chauncey's career. I know he was finals MVP and stuff, but like, it's not like he grew up watching those Detroit teams because he yeah. was literally like in preschool when those teams were happening. But Chauncey was like, no, he knew who I was. And he was asking me about my career and, you know, about like different, you know, different games in my career and stuff. And so mentality wise, and just, you know, I kind of, I have kind of, the guy I've kind of compared him to, and he is not nearly as outlandish, Mm. but he and Anthony Edwards kind of have similar energy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and it's kind of funny because, you know, the, (laughs) In hindsight now, it's very funny looking at what the knock on Anthony Edwards was coming in, which was like, does he care about basketball? And it's like, and like now we know like he's just like a sicko. And so it's like, that was never the knock on Scoot. Like everybody knew Scoot was a basketball sicko. But like, it, it is funny. Like when I, when I talked with him, um, you know, it was like, you know, I tried to do a little small talk and it was like, it was very clear that was not the way to get Scoot to open up. I was like, all right, like, let's get in the bag with like basketball questions and deep basketball questions. And he's just like, he'll he's just like, go. yes, he'll just go. Like I'm asking him about, you know, what'd you learn about running pick and roll? And, you know, he's talking about, you know, okay, I, I got to see when I should snake it and I got to see when I should pull up and I got to see when I should, you know, he talked about tempering his, you know, his, his speed, which, you know, as, as a, as a young guy where athleticism is his number one NBA trait right now right? Like the one thing we know about Scoot is he is a hyper athlete already elite in the NBA has that. 
for him to already know, like, I've got to be able to change speeds to know I've got to know when to put it in second gear and when to go to fifth gear and all that. Like the fact that he knows that is, it shows that he is already kind of taking those notes, but yeah, it was, it was one of those things where it's like, he is, he's going to do all that. Like, that's not just talk for a press conference of saying like, I'm going to bug him. It's like, he really is going to be constantly asking those questions and he's going to want that. And it's funny because the guy who I have talked to, who is the most willing to talk about that and seeking out is Damian Lillard. Yeah. Like I, one of my favorite quotes I ever got was from Dame. When I asked him, I was like, look, like when you get to that all-star all NBA level, how do you continue to get better? And this was, 40 years ago, I think it might've been 2020. It yeah. might've been like in the bubble. He was doing the Gatorade thing. Right. And I, or right after the bubble. And he said, every team's got a scouting report on me. And that scouting report has like three things on it. My goal every summer is to take something off the scouting report. It might be as minute as this. He can't hit a two dribble pull up going to his left. He's like, well, I'm going to hit two dribble pull ups going left until it's second nature. And it's like, I, I think scoot has that same, like, kind of like sick like just determination to figure something out to add to his game and obviously right now kind of the world's his oyster in that regard like there's a lot of things he can continue to get better at but I do feel like as he goes along he will be a guy that is willing to try to kind of pick apart his own scouting report in a way that not every young star is willing to do and and willing to be not negative about his game, but honest about his game. You know, some guys don't necessarily want to hear the critiques. They don't, you know, they don't want to hear people saying like, you can't do this. And, and he's like, he's willing to say it. Like you said, like with the defense, he's like, I want to be an all defense guy. And that's probably not going to happen, but like, he brings up true holiday multiple times. He does. He, he, he's like, that's the, he's like, I'm big. I'm, you know, I'm not tall, but he's like, I'm thick. I've got, you know, I'm strong. Like that's the guy I can watch to kind of say like, what can I pull from his game? Now drew is, has like a preternatural ability on that end that I don't know is something you can just copy, but there are things you can copy with him. How does he navigate screens? How does he use his strength in the way that, you know, negates some of the height disadvantages he has. And he does that really well. Usually when going up against bigger opponents, not necessarily Jimmy Butler, but like most of them, and so I, I think he knows kind of, and he's willing to say like, all right, these are the guys I can pull from. Even if he doesn't like to say he patterns his game after anybody or doesn't like comparisons to anybody. He's like, I want to be scoot, but he also knows that scoot can pull things from other guys. 